you that when we come just as we are, that we are welcome. Help us, Lord God, to come home running home, to your home, to your embrace, to that healing relationship that all of us need and long for. We thank you for uh, these words of testimony, this picture of life that you have touched. We thank you that Sandy's a new creature, that she's more and new from what she was. And Father, we pray that that would give each of us the hope that you can make us new too. We thank you for your power that's greater than ours. Help us to give ourselves to it. In Jesus' name, amen. You heard about the guy who was late for work? He said that uh, the power had gone out in his building, and he got stuck on the escalator. (laughs) The power went out in his building, he got stuck on the escalator, yeah. Escalator, you might say, well, just keep walking, you know? But some of us use uh, excuses almost as poor. For for why we're stuck, you know? It's easy to get there, really. If we live as sinners in a world of sinners, we might wonder why there's not more hurts, habits, and hang-ups than there are. That God would offer to heal these and, and to make us whole is a part of His offer of salvation to us. It's easy to get stuck. Stuck in unhealthy relationships. Stuck in addictive habits, stuck in poor coping mechanisms, stuck in grief, stuck somehow in our past, to find ourselves stuck in hiding things and hiding from things. Many have found themselves in a cycle of despair. It usually begins with something that uh, we do that we didn't want to do or something that we wanted to do that we couldn't bring ourselves to do. There's grief for that, guilt for that, a habit we keep repeating that anguishes us. We wish we, wish we could leave it behind. We're embarrassed by it. We feel guilty. And then the guilt usually turns to anger. We become anger, angry at ourselves because we're not stronger, because we can't change. We become angry at others because they won't change and make it any easier for us. We become angry, and then in our anger, sometimes we make a vow. I'll never do that again. We erect some kind of wall in our lives against that kind of thing recurring, and, and yet it does. We can come from anger into fear, fear that there's no real hope outside ourselves. Fear that to expose the struggle within would only cost and would not heal. And after we've been through that cycle a few times, it's easy to get depressed, you know, just to kind of to give up. To quit trying because trying is so hard. To decide that we're going to keep things in that closet that we've stuffed it away. We'll just work around it in our lives. 
There's no real hope for change. And usually when we're in the place that those moods and that depression usually takes us, then we find ourselves needing something to manage that mood and to bring us out of it. And often habits are formed, illegitimate satisfactions, things that we would choose not to do if we could find a level playing field, but we always seem behind, we always seem desperate. There's a vacuum in our hearts that we can't seem to fill. The cycle of despair. I, I was once told to read a book uh, that described that cycle of despair. And a therapist at the time said, Chris, you know, I, I don't know if this applies to you or not, but I, I just want you to read the book. And every time you come across something that resonates, I, I just want you to underline it. And I read a lot of stuff that didn't resonate. It, it was foreign to me. But that cycle, somebody was reading my mail. And you know, the, the strange thing is, I, I thought it was just me. I, th I thought it was a special kind of quirk of my personality, the way I dealt with things. And, and everybody else dealt with things much easier. Nobody else had those kind of struggles. Nobody had that kind of difficulty. And, and if I was just a good Christian enough, that I should be able to put all that behind me. Solution? Try harder. Tragic. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You try harder, you only have more guilt for when you mess up. And here comes the cycle all over again. It just keeps retrenching itself. And the more often you go through that cycle, the more likely you are to go through that cycle the next time your heart is pushed by the same demons, the same dissatisfactions, the same fears, the same uh, uh, dread, the same boredom. So how, how do you get off the escalator? How, how, how do you find power that you don't have? How do you break the cycle well, we've been talking about it takes, it takes some choices, some healthy choices. The first one we talked about was the reality choice. If you've got your sermon notes and you're a blank filler in her, now's the time to start. The reality choice. That's simply the choice to admit where we are. That we've been trying to play God and control everything in life ourselves, but there is a higher power who can help us. We, we admit our need. That's the reality choice. We admit that what we've been doing really isn't working. It really isn't getting better. We're willing to let that fog of denial come down and to, to, to face really a hard truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall, shet, shall, shall set you free. That's a dangerous thing to say up in front of everybody else. Do you realize that? <laughs> you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. What that scripture doesn't tell you is it will often make you flinch first. The truth about who you are, the truth about what you've become, the truth about the God that you truly need. Jesus doesn't want you to be his fan. 
He wants to be your Savior. The first choice is the reality choice. The second choice is the hope choice. That if I'm not powerful enough, there is another who is. There is a source uh, that I can trust. And we've described that higher power. We've given Him a name. And that name is important. His name is Jesus. The hope choice grasps the promise that I, I matter to Him. And that He has the power to help me recover. To help me heal. The hope choice. From the reality choice to the hope choice. I'm no longer going to turn to the same things I've been turning to to try to manage this. I'm going to turn in a different direction. I'm going to come out of denial that all this is still working for me in some way. That it's really not hurting other people around me. That it's really not cheating myself of life and cheating others of life and cheating others that I'm in relationship with. I'm going to recognize that. I'm going to come through the fog of denial. I'm going to turn 180 degrees towards a new source. I have the hope. That there is a God, that He exists, that His name is Jesus, and that He has offered me life in Himself. But it's not enough just to know that. The third choice, now these are very precise choices. It's almost hard to distinguish them sometimes. But each one is critical. The first choice says that what I've been doing doesn't work. The second choice identifies who it is I'm going to trust to make it work. Right? But that doesn't mean that you've trusted it yet. It just means that you've turned 180 degrees. It doesn't mean that, that you've invested, that you've made a, a commitment. That's the next choice, the commitment choice. The commitment choice says, I consciously choose to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. I consciously choose to commit all of my life. Not just some of it, not just the parts that I think are shined up well enough that I can share. I commit all of my life, not just the stuff that I share in the light, but who I am in the shadows, who I am when I'm hiding, and who I am when I'm out in front of everybody else. I'm going to stop managing my image, and instead of trying to look better, I'm going to take a risk and try to be better. I'm going to give myself to the one who can make me better. The commitment choice. I consciously choose to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, because the meek have discovered this kind of partnership. Meekness is not weakness. The definition of meekness is strength under control, strength bridled. It's the, it's, it's the way strength transforms when a horse, a wild stallion has been broken in and now accepts the reins and gives the strength that it has to its rider to control, right? Strength under control. Not just wild and going in every direction, whatever feels right for the horse, but now it has a rider. There's a partnership here that's being honored. There's a commitment that's been made. The horse has taken the bridle. There's another animal in the animal kingdom that's very much like the horse, but it wears stripes like a prisoner. The zebra. Exactly right. And have you ever wondered why, though a zebra is so much like a horse, that we don't talk about the zebra power of our Ram 1500? No, we we talk about the horse power, don't we? Because we know that a horse is even stronger than a horse when a horse has a rider that gives it a purpose. 
that partners with it for, for, for our life above and beyond that when it's, which it can live on its own, see? Meekness is giving someone else the reins. Meekness is, is turning over to control to a higher power, to a wiser power, to a more loving power than our own intuition. Blessed are the meek because they've given away the reins to one more powerful than they. That's the commitment choice. Some of us uh, need to make that commitment choice for the first time. We, we've, we've maybe heard about Christ all of our lives, but we've never really turned over control. Some of us has, have done so, and, and you heard it in the, the story that we just heard moments ago of how it was progressive, of how there were different components that came up over time. And you see, the commitment choice is all about committing all that I know of myself to all that I know of God. But over time, God starts revealing more about you. More about you that He knows about that you would just soon forget. More about you that you've never discovered. And because you come to know more of yourself in the light of Christ, all that becomes something that can be turned over to Him as well. This is a progressive thing. It happens at a point in time where we make the commitment choice. That's a point in time. But once we make that commitment, it starts a process by which we become more and more His. The eight healing choices are not something that just addicts choose. It's something that every Christian chooses as they progress in righteousness. You need to hear that. This is not just about addiction. This is about becoming like Christ and admitting your brokenness where you're not yet. This is the journey, not just of addicts and people that you would see in a gutter somewhere, people who have horrible stories about terrible atrocities that have happened to them in the past. Many of us share many of those. I would bet that probably within a room like this, two-thirds of us could share brokenness on that level. Some of us could share it if we could only remember it, but we've blocked it out. And many of us along the way have just been fellowshipping enough with sinners and fellow sinners that we've got hurts, habits, and hang-ups that are holding us back from all that Christ calls us to as well. So somehow as Christians, we feel like to admit these things some, somehow is a, is, a, is a matter of, of incongruity. Actually, to admit these things is a matter of telling the truth. It's a matter of getting free. It's a matter of growing in Christ. Some of us may be making the choosing commitment choice for uh, the first time. Many of us will be repeatedly making this choice over and over again as we discover more of ourselves that God would shape into something glorious from something grimy. So, so if, listen to this. This is Christ's offer to those of us who have chosen Him to turn to Him. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Put my, now that's not what many of you heard. Most of us have heard, come to me and, and, and I'll chastise you. Come to me and I'll judge you. Come to me and I'll tell you where you're really wrong. Come to me and I'll add that much more on your back when you can hardly stand to take another step now. Come to me and I'll push you. 
But that's not what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest. Put my yoke upon yourself. Put on my yoke. You see? Now, not only is Jesus the one who holds the reins, but he's the one who gets in the yoke with you. He's the one that starts pulling with you. He's the one that gives you power that you have not had, that you have not turned to. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Put my yoke upon you. That's the commitment part. That's getting connected. That's plugging in. That's saying, I am trusting this. That's saying, I am connected to to Christ, and I will do things His way. Put my yoke upon you. That's getting fastened in for the ride, you see. And learn from me. That's the process that continues thereafter. You won't get it all in a moment. This thing's peeled as an onion. He says, for I am gentle, not a slave driver. I am gentle. I'm the one who sets slaves free. I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. It is unless you're fighting against it. My yoke is easy. It's a it's the same way we use that word. Not, not an easy as in it's not difficult, but easy as in it fits. Like, like easy listening. You know, that's what you turn your radio to, to to wake up in the morning, isn't it? Easy listening. You don't want head banging. You know, when you're, when you're first wake. Easy listening. It comes alongside. It sneaks up behind you. It's already there. Easy. My yoke fits. What breaks down an ox is, is, is not the difficulty of the task. It's that irritation in that place that wears a sore and you keep pushing against it. You keep trying to ignore it being there and finally it becomes so painful that the ox will no longer pull. Healing choices are about identifying those sore spots and lighting, letting God shape a yoke that fits. Well, if God offers us that, why do so many of us turn, turn it down? Why do so many of us turn off course even after we've received Him? Let me ask you, what's delaying your decision to make the commitment choice? What's holding you back? There there are barriers to making this decision. The first one's pride. We're just going to look at a few very quickly. The first one's pride. Pride cometh before the fall. You know that pride that says, I can handle it. Well, well, if pride and exposure and, and being real with that is, 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 is your hang-up, then, then ask me, how much pain is it going to take before you trust God's plan? For some of us, it's guilt. That's a common problem. The psalmist in, 42, in uh, chapter 40, verse 12 says, My problems far too big for me to solve are piled higher than my head. Meanwhile, my sins, too many to count, have caught up with me, and I am ashamed to look up. We've made so many promises to God. It's not that we think that He doesn't see, it's because we're sure that He does. We've decided to give in to the cycle of despair. 
fear. Fear is a barrier. Fear that I'll be discovered. Fear that uh, I'll lose relationships. No one will trust if I, if I truly come clean with all that's been going on and all that I struggle with. It's like the guy that fell over the side of a cliff, and as he was falling to his death, he reached out and grabbed a hold of a root, and he realized there was no way he could climb up, no way he could, he could drop to the, to the cavern floor below. It was too far down that the drop would kill him. And so he started yelling for help. Help, help, is there anybody up there? You know the story? And a voice from up above, he couldn't see anybody, just the voice says, this is God. Trust me and let go. He said, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> anybody else? Isn't that true? We, we fear that we can't control it. Worry, worry is also a barrier that, that we can't control it to the end, that we're entrusting ourselves to something. But you always, don't you often entrust yourself to things that you don't know all the details of how it's going to work, it out, work out? You buy a house. You know, you buy a house, then you go get the loan, and then you get the inspections done, and, and then you don't know how you're going to fit in that house or how that furniture is going to, you don't know how you're going to furnish the place, but you buy the house, and then you furnish it. Then you attach the utilities. There, there are things that get worked out after the fact, but the first commitment is critical. Am I going to buy in? Doubt. We wonder if our faith is strong enough. I love that guy in Mark 9, 24. He brings his son to Jesus, and Jesus says, do you believe that I can heal him? And, and his, his dad wants it. He, you know he wants it. He says, Lord Jesus, I believe. But he was honest. He said, help my unbelief. I'm at war within myself. And you know what? Jesus did. He jumped right into that yoke with him, and he started pulling. He healed his son. Are you willing to be made willing? That was enough for that man. I don't think Jesus would treat any of the rest of us any different. Recognize that the patterns that we've been choosing do not work and make this choice today. What's that commitment look like? It means I accept God's Son as my Savior. As much as I understand of myself to as much as I understand about God, I turn from my sin and I turn to a Savior and a Lord. I, I, I turn from death and I turn to life. I, I turn from self and I turn to with Him living. I accept God's Son as my Savior. He's the one that I'm placing my trust in. I accept God's Word as my rule. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed. That it's good for teaching, for pointing this new path. It's good for, for correction, which means warning flags, that you're off that path. It means it's, it's good for rebuke. In other words, pointing your way back to the path once that you're off. And it's good for training. Once you're back on the path, keeping you there. Progressing from there. Not getting stuck on the escalator. Listening to the Word and letting it continue, continue to shape you. I accept God's Word as my rule. I accept God's will as my way. God's will is my way. Some of us don't really trust that. We think if we really give ourselves to God that we'll come, become some kind of religious, fanatic, kook, nut, 
the practical talk. You're, you're really getting a little too far off in this. You're really trusting this just a bit too much. But you know just the opposite is what happens. That's a lie from hell. It was the lie that Legion was telling that man that was shackled outside the city because they could not keep him safe from hurting others. They had him shackled, and yet his shackles couldn't hold him. He broke out of the shackles, right? And Jesus shows up. And He didn't make the man insane. That's how He found him. That's how He finds most of us. Insane. Doing the same thing over and over again and accepting a di- expecting a different outcome. Insanity. What He offers is not a spirit of fear, but of love and of discipline and of a sound mind. He makes us more sane, people. I accept God's will as my way. Some of us feel like that's going to be a straitjacket that will somehow rob us of that much more of life when in truth it's just the opposite. It frees us from things that are shackling us. It frees us from habits that are limiting us and weakening us and tearing us down. He releases us to life. He doesn't hold us back from it. It's not about trying harder. Otherwise, it would read, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll put you on overtime. I will give you rest for your souls. You see, he he understands how he wired you. And all these things that have twisted your mind as to how your life ought to conform to somebody else's expectations, that's the straitjacket. That's what's holding you back. Part of my difficulty was just like Sandy. I had, I had these performance things that became a part of the makeup of who I was. I came by, I'm honest. But I thought who I was, the value of who I was, was tied up in how well I could perform. Was I making the grades? Was I pleasing other people? And I became a people pleaser. I became a people pleaser so much that I carried some of that stuff into being a pastor. Can you believe that or not? A pastor wanting to please other people? It's a sick place to be, my friend. (laughs) I've spent most of my life trying to figure out how not to have 300 bosses, but to have one. And when I chose Him, I started becoming free. See? Just a little thing. I, I, I used to, even more so, be a type A workaholic. You think I'm bad now. (laughs) You should know me, right? Uh, A workaholic. Because I felt like when I worked, I achieved. And when I achieved, I was worth something. And when I was worth something, people would value me. But that set me up still to be a one who gains my value from the way others value me. I needed to be appreciated. And on those, those times when I wasn't being appreciated, when I was doing all those things that the Lord would have me do behind the scenes that no one was cheering for, I didn't like it. I got tired. And if God had shaped the yoke, you know what He would have said? You've worked long enough today. Go hit a bucket of balls. You've worked long enough today. Go let me nurture your soul in a legitimate way. Find something that's life-giving and let that balance all of this that you're pouring out with in life. That's my yoke for you. But I couldn't even consider that. You know why? 
Because I was afraid that if anybody in my church saw me at the golf range hitting a bucket of balls, that they would, they would uh, develop different opinions about my commitment to my work. And if they had different opinions about my commitment to work, they wouldn't appreciate me near as much. And then my value would go right down the tubes. Anybody else know what it's like, don't raise your hands, to live under that kind of pressure? And it's sick. Here I am, a pastor, knowing that I'm loved infinitely by my Heavenly Father, that He wants an intimate relationship with me, that He wants to flood my soul until I marinate in that kind of love. He wants me living loved, and yet I am so... You know, isn't that strange? Beth Moore in her series that the ladies are looking at on on Tuesday mornings in a Bible study here says that she tried to raise an adopted child and she learned something in raising that child that no matter how much love she poured into that child, that child would always feel themselves one that had been rejected by a birth parent. Now she says, she points this out and I think it's absolutely true. There is nobody that knows they're wanted quite like someone who's been adopted. Really, your parents might have just been stuck with you. Right? But, but that's not how we figured in our head. If, we, if, we, if we've been adopted, often the way we think about that is, I was rejected. No, no, no. You were intentionally received and accepted. And then Beth Moore, in her frustration to communicate that kind of love to the child, realizes that she is that child. That here she is, she has a heavenly father that has come all the way from heaven in the form of his son and died on a cross that he might reclaim that relationship with her. And yet she spends most of her time not thinking about her adoption, but thinking about something that abused, something that rejected, something that bruised and broke the heart. Some hurt habit or hang-up that we continue to let shape our lives when the God of the universe would claim us as His daughter and His son, you are royalty. Are you living like it? The commitment choice. I consciously choose to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. I just want to close with this right quick. The commitment choice. It's hard sometimes to give that traction. But I want to give you that opportunity to make that choice this morning. I consciously choose. When when have you made that commitment choice? It's when you're all in. When you're all in. How many of you like riding roller coasters? Anybody like riding a roller coaster in this place? I'm a big roller coaster guy. First place I go to at a, at a park is to the roller coaster. If I ride it as many times as my sons, I get sick. But I go to the roller coaster. It's my favorite place ever since the Scream Machine in Atlanta, Georgia, Six Flags. That's, that's been the place. Rode it with Billy Denny for the very first time. He, he, he told me he was committed. He told me he had run, run on the roller coaster ride before, but we got about halfway up. You know, Billy was about four years older than me. He was the one that talked me to get on just as I was that high to get in under the little guy with the hand. And, and we're sitting on the, and he says, oh, no, man, you got to ride on the front car. So I get on the front car with Billy Denny, and we're going over the front of that thing. And the thing I didn't realize is when you're in the front car, you see everything before it happens, which really makes it worse. You know, those old wooden deals? Because you go over the top and you're looking at death before you and everybody else doesn't even know it's coming. 
Doesn't even know it's coming. You know? And so, so you're just hanging there, and all of a sudden, the whoosh comes. You know, and, and, and I looked over at Billy Denny. Poor Billy Denny. His face was as white as a sheet. His cheeks were laughing in the wind. Like that. And I thought, oh my gosh, I got on with the wrong guy. He has been lying to me. This is his first time through. But he, it was so funny, I laughed the whole way around at Billy Denny. So I, I was thankful to have that guy along with me that particular day. But, but, you, but you need to know who you're getting committed to. Who you're locking in with, don't you? You don't want to be like the photographer who ran out to the forest fire and he had a plane waiting for him. You know, one of those to take him up and get him pictures. He jumps in the plane. They take off and he says, now I want to go right down over the fire. I want to get in for some close pictures. And he says, the guy, the pilot looked pretty nervous. He says, what do you mean you want to get in for some close pictures? He says, I'm a photographer. That's what I do. See the camera? I take the pictures. He says, you're not the flight instructor? <laughs> well, what are you connected to? It doesn't require a great faith. Jesus said it could be just mustard side faith, just a little bit of faith, but it's what you put your faith in. See? Is your faith in that big God, in that loving God, in that powerful God that will never reject you, that will never abandon you, that is unlike any other love that you have ever known? Well, what do you put that faith in? But when are you committed? You know, I walked up to the stile as I was getting in. And I wasn't committed yet. You know, they have an exit door. And, and, and we waited our turn, and then it was just me and Billy. And, and then this thing opened. It's an opportunity. It's an offer. I know what's in front of me. But am I committed yet? No. I, I get in. I sit down next to Billy. Billy's right next to me. I sit down in the front seat. Am I committed yet? Not if your mind is creative as mine is. I know I can still get out the other side of that thing. I can just jump out with all the people that are exiting. But then there comes a critical moment where that little people come down yeah, and you hear this chung, 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 boom. Right? Whew. You are in, brother. You are not getting out. It doesn't matter how you scream. It doesn't matter who you throw up on. You are on till the end of the ride. You are committed. And frankly, you want to be committed. You know why? Because the last thing you want to do when you're going through that ride is not have the bar. You want to talk about terror. Try to fix the most haunting hurts in your heart without the healer. I beg you. This is the critical choice. It's just the beginning. It sets you up for the whole ride, but you do not want to entertain the ride without the commitment. You do not want to entertain the ride without choosing consciously who it is that you're hooking up with. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they, they have promises. Twelve promises. I love these promises. Listen to it. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. See, it's not just a commitment. It's the process that comes after. Before we're halfway through, we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. Why did they say that? Because that's what they wanted? No. They said that because that's what others had experienced informing those that were on the way. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past 
nor wish to shut the door on it. No more slamming doors on the outside or on the inside. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. Peace, is it really possible? No matter how far down the scale we've gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. God redeems even the junk to make it a treasure to give to someone else. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook on life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. I love that one. We will intuitively know, because it's counterintuitive, we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. Thank God for that healing wisdom. We will suddenly realize, this is great, we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Do you hear that? We will come to realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? And the whole crowd says, we think not. They are being fulfilled among us. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, sometimes three steps forward, sometimes a few steps back. It's not a pretty walk, but it's a progressive walk. It's not perfect, but it's making you whole. They will always, be, they will always materialize if we work for them. We do not have... Uh, <laughs> sorry, stops right there. There it said, you do not have the required permission to enter this website. So... Um, <laughs> You know, a couple of years ago, that would have destroyed a performance-oriented pastor, you know? <laughs> I don't care. I just want us free. Some of you right now, as we stand and sing, however you need to do it, need to make that commitment. Chung, chung, chung. Put the bar down. Say, I'm turning from what I've been trusting, and I am trusting Christ from this day forward. I'm giving all that I know of myself to all that I know of Him. I'm trusting myself to His care and to His control. Do that today. And you'll get unstuck. The escalator that has no power, you'll start to walk away from. Is that your choice? For God's sake, make it as we stand and sing.